A few weeks ago, I uh, started what kind of has morphed into a mini-series, and uh, I said a few weeks ago that uh, Jesus invited uh, everyone to follow him. And when you read the Gospels and you see his interactions with people, it was pretty cool. He, uh, he would be with people, and he wouldn't say, start this, and stop that, and thou shalt, and thou shalt not. He wouldn't say, I'm holy, you're not, get your stuff together. He would interact with people who are nothing like him, and people who are nothing like him liked him. And he liked people who were nothing like him, so much so that he invited them to follow him. He'd say, I just want you to follow me. Just follow me. They're like, well, what else, Jesus? Just follow me. Just for now, just follow me. You don't have to change anything, just follow me. You don't have to learn anything, just follow me. I want you to be around me, I want to be around you, follow me. And then we said that as people followed Jesus, in time, they began to believe Jesus. Not just the things that he said, but they began to believe that he was who he said he was, which was huge because he made some, some massive, crazy claims like he was the uniquely sent one of God. He was the son of God. He was the savior of the world. He was the lamb of God. The, he was a sacrifice for all sin, all these big claims. And as odd as that is for us to hear and as difficult as it might be for some of us to accept that and those kinds of claims, the people who follow Jesus, they concluded that, yeah, he is the Messiah. He's the promised one we've been waiting for for generations and generations. He is the Holy One sent from God. And they didn't believe it uh, simply because he kept uh, proclaiming it. In fact, it's interesting, when they would ask him point blank, are you the one? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one the prophets talked about? Are you the one that was foretold in the law? Are you the one that we've been waiting for generations? He'd usually dodge that question. And his point was, I want you to follow me. I want you to arrive at your own conclusion. You're going to arrive at the same place if you're honest about it. Not because I persuaded you or because I convinced you. I just want you to be around me. And sure enough, as people spent time with Jesus, they began to believe. And even in our culture and in our world and in our place and time, if you'll just begin to follow, follow just means to do what you're doing this morning, maybe. Just sit and listen. Follow means to start to read your Bible. Follow means get in some relationships where you can get some questions answered. Don't expect to get them all answered. Because if anybody's answering all your questions, they're, they're full of it and they don't, they're just leading you along. Follow me is to move in a direction really with no commitment other than I want to be around Jesus. And over time, what just might happen to you is what happened to many of us and what happened to those who were with Jesus and walked this earth with him for a while, that after you're around Jesus for a while, one day you're sitting around and one day you're listening in church and one day you're reading and one day you're talking with some friends and it dawns on you, I believe this stuff. I believe what Jesus said. I believe that he is who he said he was. Somewhere along the way, I'm not even really sure where it started, but I know I believe this. And so the men and women who followed Jesus began to believe, and then a really interesting thing started to happen. This is what I want to talk about today. Men and women in that first century culture during Jesus' life after he ascended uh, and after he ascended to the Father, they began to adopt a lifestyle that was radically different from anything that uh, they'd ever known. They began to adopt a lifestyle that was radically different from what culture presented. And they began to obey the teachings of Jesus. 
And in our culture, we, th we think that's hard, right? And we're, we're going to talk about that. But it was even more difficult, maybe, in some cases for them because, uh, well, uh, for instance, their lives were at risk. It was illegal in parts of that culture to believe what Jesus taught, to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And yet hundreds and then thousands and then tens of thousands of people, they didn't simply follow. They didn't simply just believe. They began to act on what they came to believe, and they began to take these teachings of Jesus, these odd, unusual, upside-down, inside-out teachings of Jesus, and they began to organize their entire lives around what Jesus said. And their lifestyles were so compelling and so different that ultimately it overturned the, the very empire that put Jesus to death. And it wasn't their persuasive words. It wasn't their incredible communication skills. It was just a group of people that lived such curious lives. And they put other people first. And they were extraordinarily honest. And they were generous and they weren't afraid of death, and they raised their families differently, and they talked differently, and they avoided all kinds of, uh, of evil, and yet they didn't condemn the people who didn't avoid the same evils they avoided. They were almost impossible to offend. They seemed to have a joy about life and a sense of eternity that gave them energy in this life. And it was so curious to the Romans. It was curious to the Jews. They were so fascinated, not by the fact that they followed Jesus, not even by the fact that they believed in him, but it was this lifestyle. It was these values and the fact that they were acting on what they believed. They were acting on what they believed that ultimately got the world's attention. My heart's desire for all of us is that we would not simply follow, but hey, if you've just begun following, just keep following, okay? Don't get the cart before the horse. Just keep following. Just follow Jesus. And I hope everybody who follows Jesus comes to the point that they believe that Jesus is, in fact, who he said he was. And that he is, in fact, the unique Holy One sent from God, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But the difference comes when we obey. Obedience is what makes the difference in your life. It's what makes the difference in your marriage. It's what makes the difference in your family. It's what makes the difference in your entertainment, in your friendships. Obedience is what makes the difference in your life, and it's obedience that has the ability to transform your culture, whether it's your family culture or your work culture or whatever. Now, the problem with obedience <laughs> is that it requires that we do something. That's where we kind of want to just ring the bell and get off the bus. You know? I'll just get off here. I have enjoyed following so far. Jesus has been great. Saw lots of really cool things. And, you know, that was all good and warm and fuzzy. But I, I got a lot of questions answered, too, that I didn't think there were answers for. But it's been great. But it's uh, time for me now to, you know, step off the, um, okay, this has been good. And I like believing. I, okay, I'm going to hang on just long enough. Like, I may even believe in this now because I know that I have eternal life and I have peace with God and I feel like God is with me. And this is just incredible. But obey. Now, I mean, Jesus, if I obey, it's going to impact, like, so much stuff, like my family. It's going to impact my, because they won't understand. It's going to impact my friends. The, the world that I, my little world that I live in is going to impact all that, my everything, big time. And there's something about it when you get to the point where we, to this point where we tend to just kind of uh, reach for the break, you know, and it's like, not so fast. This is, this is, this is the catch, Todd, that you talked about a couple weeks ago when you said, you know, it's, free and all that, and it's like, well, there's a catch somewhere, here's the catch. It's not a catch. Let me tell you why. This is what happens. 
people who believe after a while begins to impact their lifestyle. I just want to do, I really just want to do one thing today as I talk about obedience. I want, I want to peel off a layer of fear that maybe some of us have when it comes to coming to the point where you say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son and I want to live a life that pleases him. I just want to peel off a layer of fear associated with that. Because here's what some of these believers in the first century experienced, and some of us have experienced this. That when you begin to believe that someone has your best interests in mind, you are open to their influence. Right? Think about that in your life. That's happened to you many times in your life. When you're convinced that somebody has your best interests in mind, you are, you're wide open to their influence in your life. When you fall in love with someone, you're suddenly wide open to their influence. And let, I mean, let's, let's face it. Uh, I mean, some of you are going to have to think way, way back. <laughs> but the craziest things that you've ever done, you've done because of love. Okay, you're, you're like, oh, yes, I do remember that now. <laughs> I mean, because you're in love and your significant other influences you, you know, and some, maybe some of them you regret, some of them are just silly, some are a waste of money, and some, were, some are great stories that you keep telling, and you're telling, and some of you are living it right now, and you've got stories to tell your grandchildren, you just have no idea you're living it right now. But you look back at the things that you did, and you realize that you were under the influence of somebody that you were in love with. It's kind of, that's kind of what Christianity is. It's eventually you, you begin to follow and you begin to believe and when it dawns on you that your heavenly father, what he's done for you through his son, Jesus Christ, how could you not be open to his influence in your life? Unfortunately, traditionally, somewhere in the story of the church, we got this all backwards. And don't, yeah, I remember like in the mid-70s. No, no, I'm talking like a long, long time ago, centuries ago, we got this flipped upside down. And that flipped upside down mindset, it, it hung around for a long time and maybe it's kind of still here in the church. Maybe, in fact, maybe you bailed out of church somewhere along the way, when, maybe when you were younger, you quit going to church a long time ago. Because what happened was the church lost sight of follow, believe, obey, follow, believe, obey, follow, believe, obey. And, and then you just found yourself going to church and somehow follow, believe, obey had just become obey. Let's start with obey. You walk in and you're like, what? You're asking me to change my whole lifestyle? Like, I'm not even sure that I believe this. I, I mean, I kind of just started following. I'm not sure. Like, well, God said so, so you need to do this and you need to stop that. And you're like, well, which, which God are you talking about? Because I haven't even figured that out yet. Well, just obey. You know, if you're not going to obey, just get out of here and you're taking somebody's seat. You know, come, when you're ready to obey, you come back in here. It's like, obey, obey. It's all about obey. Perhaps in your church experience, it wasn't quite articulated that way, but when you look back on it, you're like, wow, that we really did get it backwards. Somehow we forgot about the other two parts. You read the stories of Jesus, and it wasn't that way. He didn't meet Matthew at the tax collector's booth and say, oh, man, you are a mess. You need to, get, you need to change some stuff here. You need to stop doing this. Well, actually, here's a whole page of things you need to stop doing, and here's some things you need to start doing. You need to obey, Matthew. You're out of control. You're, he's, no, you know what he said? He said, hey, let's, uh, let's go to your house. Invite your friends. Let's have a party. Remember Zacchaeus? Remember the story of Zacchaeus? Remember how Jesus saw him up the tree? And he's like, Zacchaeus, you better start obeying. You are, uh, you're just a terrible person, and you should really stop the things you're doing. No, that's not what he said. What did he say? Come on, Dan. Let's go to your house. Let's have a party. Let's have a meal. Let's get to know each other. Jesus never started with total strangers saying obey. That's not, that wasn't where he started. In fact, the Ten Commandments, oh, this is a great example, because everyone's, 
Everyone's heard of the Ten Commandments, the big ones, right? You know, you're familiar with the concept of the Ten Commandments. Could you just indicate that you have heard of the Ten Commandments? I just want to make sure we're kind of on the same page. And because uh, you've said this, or maybe you've thought this, or you've heard other people say this when you start talking religion and stuff, and they're like, well, I, I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, good for you. Wow, that is impressive stuff right there. Um, people don't actually say that to me too much, especially after they find out I'm a pastor, because they know I'm going to call them on it, because, oh, you keep the good, good, you keep the Ten Commandments. Where are those again? Where do you, where, where can I read those? Oh, they're, they're in the Bible. Some, yeah, the Bible says that. God said that in the Bible. Where, where in the Bible? <laughs> oh, thank you. That's very helpful. Okay. Do you have... <laughs> It's like, do you have any idea? Can you name them? Can you name half of them? Or are you just keeping your favorite ones? You know, I haven't killed anybody lately, so I'm a pretty good person. Thought about it, but for some reason, people get focused on the Ten Commandments. It drives me crazy. Did you ever read some of the stuff that Jesus said about the Ten Commandments? Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Oh, we're going to go there in a minute. Do you know who the Ten Commandments were given to? Who were they given to? <clears throat> the Israelites, right. At what point in their story? Were they in the promised land yet? No. They were just getting started in their years of wandering around the wilderness. This is really important. But Israel had been a nation, yeah? They'd been a nation for hundreds of years at this point. And he didn't give his commandments to Israel on the day one. Like, uh, okay, Abraham, you're going to be a nation, and here are the big ten that you've got to keep. didn't work that way. Not on day one, not on day two, not on year 10, not on year 100. He had, he had in his mind all these things he wanted Israel to do and all the things he wanted Israel to avoid for their sake. But he put that on the shelf and he basically said, let me identify myself first. Let me show you who I am. I'm the God who loves you. I'm the God who's chosen you. Well, that's great, God. Wow, that makes me feel so good. What do you need us to do? Nothing. Let's just live in a love relationship. Wow, God. So uh, what's your name now? What should we call you? It's like you don't even need to know. All you need to know is I'm the God who loves you and I'm the God who delivers you. Oh, by the way, you know, I'm going to deliver you from the across the Red Sea and then I'm going to feed you in the wilderness and I'm going to lead you by day and I'm going to protect you by night. And after months and months of this and after you're, you're kind of feeling like a nation because you're out from somebody else's bondage, you're going to go, wow, look at that. We do have a great God. Look at, look at who God is. We Look what God has done for us. Look at the kind of God that we serve who loves us. We believe, we trust him at that point. God says, okay, now that we've established that, there are some things that I'd like you to do not to earn my love, listen, because you can tell I already love you. You know that. Look at the things I've done for you. So it's not so that I love you more because I've demonstrated I love you as much as anybody could love another. But he says, I have some things for you to do, not so that you can earn my love, but because I love you, because I created you and I kind of know how life works. He says, I have some things to say about marriage, not because I want to ruin your relationships, but because I want you to thrive in your relationships. I created marriage. I know how it works. He says, I have some things to say about your morality because I established morality and I know, I know it better than anybody else. And, and I mean, get me on a talk show. It'd be awesome. And I'll write a book and it'll be the best. Oh, yeah. Well, 
have some things to say about work, I have some things to say about money, I have some things to say about worship, I have some things to say about everything, because I created it all. So trust me, Israel, I'd like to tell you how to live your life, not so that you can earn my love and stay in my good standing. I've already proved to you that I love you. So it's like God says to you and he says to me, I want you to follow, and I want you to follow till you fall in love with me. When you fall in love with me and you know you can trust me, I want you to be open to my influence. And when you believe that I have your best interests in mind, I have some things I'd like for you to do. I have some things that I'd like you to work at changing. I have some things I'd like you to do differently, not to earn my love. I'm telling you this because I love you. And if you never do any of these things, and you never obey any of my commandments, and if you totally you know, self-destruct and destroy your life because of sin, and, and on the last day of your life you come crawling back to me, I still love you. This isn't about earning anything. This is because I love you. And like every loving father and mother gets on their knees from time to time and looks into the eyes of their children and says, trust me, trust me on this. You don't want to go there. You don't want to mess with that. You don't want to walk that line. Trust me. From time to time, your heavenly father, it's like he gets down on his knees to look us eyeball to eyeball. And he's like, look, I know culture's going left, but I really want you to go right. I don't, that's not a political reference. I know every day, you know, you know somebody who handles their life this way. I, I kind of need you to go a different direction. Not to get me to love you more. I'm telling you this because I already love you so much. So that's the Old Testament. And that's the New Testament. Today we're going to look at a parable, and if you've heard this one before, uh, well, if you spent any time in Sunday school uh, in the last 40 years, you've heard a little song about this parable, um, and maybe we'll sing it here in a few minutes, some flashbacks. This is a story that Jesus told. Um, it was a parable, which means it didn't really happen. He told the story to make a point. It was at the end of one of his longest sermons, and Jesus had just downloaded to these people who had just begun to follow uh, some of them were still deciding whether they wanted to follow. Some of them had already started to trust him with the way that they, you know, he wanted them to live their lives. And this is all really different. He just presented a way of living life that was so completely different from anything they'd known, anything they'd been taught, anything they'd experienced. Let me give you a little synopsis. He said things like this. If someone angers you, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. That was different. He said, if somebody asks you to do something for them, do more than they ask. That's something different. He said, I want you to be extraordinarily generous. No percentage. I'm not talking about percentages. I just want you to be extraordinarily generous. And if somebody asks you for something, I want you to give it to them and then some. That was different. He said, I want you to forgive. No matter what someone's done to you, I just want you to forgive. Oh, but Jesus, what about? Nope, just forgive. And they're all taking notes, and you're like, you've got to be kidding me. Did, did he really say that? I can't believe he said that. That's, that's not, nobody does that. that. He can't really, that's not what he means. He must mean something else. Nobody, like, just forgives. Like, forgiveness is like letting someone off the hook. I mean, come on, Jesus. I want you to forgive. He said, I want you to pursue people, actually, who've wronged you, and pursue them until you're able to make it right with them and you are reconciled. He said, treat everybody the way you want to be treated, even your enemies. In fact, speaking of your enemies, why don't you just go ahead and pray for your enemies? At this point, they put the notepads down. They're like, okay, he's off, he's off the deep end now. Oh, and he says this, this is a showstopper. Because, <laughs> you know, we're, they thought it was all about Ten Commandments. And he's like, uh, you missed the point. He says, lust is a sin. They'd never heard that before. 
No, 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 Jesus. The law says that adultery is sin, that sex outside of marriage is sin. And, and Jesus says, no, I'm saying that thinking it is a sin. They're starting to back away at this point, <laughs> okay? He raised the standard. It was so different. And everybody's sitting there like, follow? Yeah, believe? Yes, but obey, like do all this stuff? I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm following and I, and I really can't help but believe. I've come to that place. I believe that this is the Messiah. But if I want to be, if I were to be that generous, if I were to be that ethical, if I were to be, to be that moral, if I were to really incorporate the teachings of Jesus and order my life around the teachings of Jesus, if I were to be that obedient, my life would be so radically different, I don't even know if I can go there. And at the end of the story of this sermon, Jesus tells a very, very famous story. And the parable, the point of the parable is not, you know, here's how to get God to love you. That's not the point. The point is not, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. It has nothing to do with that. The point of the parable is this. At the end of the day, if you organize your life around obedience to Jesus, you'll be glad that you did. Not when you get to heaven to get some kind of reward, whatever that looks like, but at the end of the day in this life, when you organize your life around what I teach, Jesus says, as difficult as it is, as countercultural as it may be, you'll be glad you did. And he says, the reason I'm telling you this is not because I'm mad at you, not because you're such failures, it's not because I'm punishing you, it's because I love you. So let's read a few of these verses. This parable is found in Matthew chapter 7. This is the last part of what we know as a Sermon on the Mount. And if you're ever wondering, like, what really is the essence of the Christian faith? What is the essence of what my life should look like as a Christian? Start with Matthew 5 and read chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And when you're done, go back to chapter 5 and read it again. And then keep reading that. And if you ever get to the place where you've mastered Matthew 5, 6, and 7, um, I will take you out for a big lobster dinner because I want to hear this, how you did it. <laughs> this, is, this is what it's about. Does anybody, um, <laughs> I don't have time to do this, but does anybody know this, uh, this song that goes like, you know, don't you? Uh-huh. All right, never mind then. Um, you think you're so holy because you know the song. Uh, I'm, not, I'm just kidding, you're not holy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Matthew 7, let's read some verses here. Matthew 7, verse 24. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, this is after he said some crazy stuff that they'd never heard before. Someone comes after you, you turn the other cheek. Someone asks something of you, you give it to them and give them more. You think adultery is sin? I'm telling you, lust is a sin. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, this is so important. Because if you were raised in a Baptist church like some of us were, or you are raised in a Catholic church like a lot of us were, or somewhere in between, I was raised in a Baptist church. But here's why this is so important. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, listen, this is not about church attendance. This is not about hearing this is not about taking exhaustive notes. This is not about accumulating lots of information and having some books on your shelves. This isn't even about having all of your questions answered. What he's talking about is doing. Obedience. It's, a, it's about a lifestyle. He said, he or she who puts these things into practice, in other words, 
I am calling you into a brand new lifestyle. I'm not preaching this stuff so it'll go viral on YouTube. I'm preaching this to you right here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 because it's a brand new way to do life. And he's just basically touching every area of life in his sermon. And really, if you, if you this, make this your reading for this week, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in closing, he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is Jesus' way of saying that everybody who obeys me is smart. It's a pretty arrogant thing to say. And that's why he's saying everybody who puts this practice this, into practice, these things that I've been teaching, you're really smart. So he says, you're like a wise man. It's like you're building a house on a rock. And everybody in the audience went, well, duh. Where else are you going to build a house? Of course you build a house on a rock. He's about to tell a story about a guy who wanted to have a waterfront home, because who doesn't? And instead of putting his house right down by the river, he went up on the bank of the river, and he dug down until he found rock. And that's where he laid his foundation. And you think that's difficult and expensive today. We're talking a couple thousand years ago. And everybody in his audience knew that that's how you're supposed to do it. They're going, well, who wouldn't put their foundation on a rock? Of course you dig until you find some solid ground there, the foundation of rock, and you spend a lot of time and a lot of money, and it was very expensive, and you go to the, it took a lot of time, and you, you go to the trouble, and it was a lot of trouble, and you make sure the foundation of your house was on something that wasn't going to shift. And Jesus says, let me tell you about obedience to me. Obedience to me isn't about getting one up on your neighbor or making God happier or making sure you go to heaven when you die. He said, and I know this sounds complicated, but it's different. He says, but I'm going to take, it's going to take a while to get your head around this. But if you'll just do as I say, first of all, let me just say, congratulations, you're really smart. It's the equivalent of what everybody who's listening would do anyway, which is when you build a house, before you get to the pretty part, before you get to the fun part, before you get to the, hey, have you seen my kitchen part? Before you get to all of that, he says, everybody knows, common sense tells you, even the person of less than average IQ knows that you make sure the foundation of your house is on something that's not going to change. Because no matter how pretty it is on the outside, no matter all the amenities on the inside, if the foundation isn't solid, everybody knows you've wasted your time and trouble's coming. This is what Jesus says about obedience to his teaching. He says, when you obey me, it's like you're building your house on a rock. And it's doing what everybody knows you're supposed to do anyway. It's the equivalent of making a decision that you'll never, ever regret. He says, and if you listen to what I say, if you practice my teaching, he's talking about the foundations of your entire life, the foundation of your entire life experience. He says, if you organize your life, not just your weekend, not just your Sunday mornings, your life, if you'll do that, it's the equivalent of building a house the way that you're supposed to build a house with a solid foundation that isn't going to move or crumble. Verse 25. So the rain, he's still telling the story. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it, because it had its foundations, its foundation on the rock. So Jesus is like, look, you don't need to tell me, I mean, you don't need me to tell you this, but life isn't good sometimes. Sometimes life is difficult. Have you ever found that to be true? Maybe since last Sunday, you know? People are going to break their promises. You're going to have some good kids, and you're going to have some bad kids. Maybe you won't even get to be a parent. Maybe the career path isn't going to be so smooth. Life is just life. And Jesus says, look, I love you, but in this life, write this down, in this life you're going to have trouble. I'm like, oh, did not realize that. Oh, okay. We're going to a sermon for a few weeks, and we're going to, we're going to dive into this really deep. 
But in this life, you're going to have trouble. And you're like, no, well, I'm following Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. Everything's all set. No. <laughs> yeah. Don't believe everything you hear and everything you read on TV and everything you hear on the radio and all the best-selling books. Like, you think, there, I got everything in order and I love Jesus like nothing else and everything's going to be great now. Jesus says, in this life, you're going to have trouble. And when you have trouble, here's the deal. What happens to your life is not determined by how pretty it is, but how firm the foundation is, where you set your foundation. Jesus says, I love you. I want you to be able to withstand the storms because they're coming. There are going to be some storms. There's going to be some marriage storms. There's going to be some financial storms. There's going to be some kid storms. There's going to be some health storms. There's going to be some financial storms, some, some, some friendship storms, some careers, all the, every kind of storm you can imagine. There are going to be some real storms in life. But Jesus is saying to you, I know you may not put this together, but trust me, because you know that I love you. If you will order your life around the teachings that I've given you, you will move from follow to believe to obey. And when the storms of life come, at the end of the day, you may lose a couple shingles and a shutter, but your house is going to remain intact. This is a very significant promise. Most of us have been able to look back on maybe some people who are older than us who have been able to withstand some serious storms in their lives. you have people like that in your life? And you've asked this question that a lot of us have asked, the same question that I've asked. So, like, I wonder how I would respond if that were to happen to me. How would I handle this? I wonder what would happen in my thinking. I wonder what would happen to my faith. I wonder what would happen to my character. And your Savior who loves you says the best preparation you can make for the storm that's coming for the future is to do something now to order your life, he says, around my teaching. And then he goes on and he tells the second half of the parable. You can probably guess where this is going. It seems, first of all, it seems so arrogant. If Jesus isn't the Son of God, we would just shut this down and like, this guy has a major ego problem. Because if I were to say something like this to you without the foundation, the, the basis of Scripture, your response would be, yeah, just like I suspected. You need some help. But verse 26, he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, in other words, you don't do what I'm telling you, is like a foolish man. So you don't do what I'm telling you, you're a fool who built his house on the sand. He says, if you decide to do your marriage and to do your education and to do your career and to do your morals and to do your finances and do all these realms of life, if you decide to do that in a way that is contrary to what I've just told you, Jesus says, then you're like a foolish man who's about to do something that nobody with any sense would do, who built his house on the sand. He went down by the riverbank. He's like, yeah, I'd like to be close to the water. This is cool. I don't have to drag my boat so far. The way, this is way better than being up there on that hill like that guy. Besides, it's a lot easier to put a foundation in the sand. This guy's still up there breaking rock and money just everywhere, just giving people money to break some rock. I've been doing it for months. I'm so far ahead of him. That's way too hard. It's too time-consuming. But nobody in this culture would build their house next to the river. They all knew that. You just wouldn't do that. And Jesus says, well, let me, let me just tell you, if you continue to live your life in disregard to what I'm teaching you because it's too hard, because it's countercultural." You've got to pay a price. What about your friends who think that you're the stick in the mud? Jesus says, I'm telling you, this, this, first of all, this isn't about heaven and hell. This isn't about you know, getting, you know, getting, you to, getting me to love you. you know, I've, I've told you that I love you and you have demonstrated I love you. you know, I've, even if you follow and even if you believe, to refuse to obey is the equivalent of building your house right down on the riverbank on the sand. And to the people in his audience, that was such an extraordinarily arrogant thing to say. 
unless you believe that he is who he says he is. Because the people in his audience thought to themselves, well, only a fool, only a person who has no intelligence at all would ever do that. And Jesus said, that's my point. That's why I'm using hyperbole here. It's, it's, this, is, this is how big a deal it is. Obedience, not simply believing. Obedience is what makes all the difference. Verse 27. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. It sounds like the same storm. The description is exactly the same. Same storm, same wind, same water, same conditions. It beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Verse 28. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. You know what this means? That as hard as it was to embrace, as hard as this was to walk away and commit to, as much as, oh man, this, if I do this, it's going to require some change on my part. They couldn't get away from the fact that this guy talks. It's like he knows what he's talking about. He has incredible authority. It's going to be hard for me to walk away and go, nah, I don't think so. Because he spoke with such authority. Now, this parable is going to strike each of us in one of, I'm going to say, three ways. Okay? For some of us, it comes as a comfort. Okay, so maybe for you it's a comfort because a year ago, a couple years ago, a few years ago, a long time ago, you decided to order your life around the teachings of Jesus. You've done everything you can to get the teachings of Jesus and the truth of Scripture into you. The way that you handle your money, the way that you date, the way that you do your marriage, the way that you think, the way that you treat the people around you, the people you work with. You've allowed the teachings of Jesus to begin to saturate all of these areas of your life and all these decisions on all these areas of your life. And from time to time, you lie in bed at night and you have this question, is this worth it? I'm missing opportunities. My family, some of them don't understand me. They think I'm crazy. They call me a religious fanatic and worse, you know, and to the best of my ability, I'm just trying to be a follower and a believer and a doer. I'm trying to be obedient. And this parable should reinforce the decisions that you've made. And I think Jesus would say to you, you know what? You've made the wise decision. You're doing the hard work. You're taking the more difficult route. You're making the sacrifice in the sense of what culture would tell you. You're like the wise builder. You've done what every builder knows to do. You've, you've laid a strong, solid foundation that will serve you for the rest of your life. So press on, because when you hit the bumps and when the storms of life come, because they're coming, that's where you're going to appreciate your foundation. When you hit a relationship storm, you're going to be able to say, God, to the best of my ability, I've ordered my marriage, I've ordered my relationship, my relational life around your teachings, around the truth of Scripture. I'm committed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm committed to love my husband. I'm committed to everything that I know that you've called me to do. I'm trusting you now with this. And Jesus says to you, you can trust me with this. Doesn't, oh, wait. Doesn't mean that everything works out the way you think it's going to work out. But your life will stand. Your faith will remain intact. Not because of a commitment you made, not because of a prayer, not because you're hanging around church and following and starting to believe, but because you put into practice, Jesus says, the things that I've taught. For some of us, this should be a warning. Because you're 25 or 30 or whatever, <laughs> and you uh, grew up in the church, or you've been coming to church for a long time, and you're following and you believe and you're going... I'm not going to do that. I mean, 90% of the stuff here is, you know, that's 
spot on because like I, I love this church. It's just so wonderful and the people are, I just love them to death and the pastor's like the best ever and this is like an awesome church and like we got a lighthouse back there and it's psychedelic during that song and so the pyrotechnics are amazing and I love the music and I love the people and I love the things that I hear most of the time and I love the experience here. It's all good and I believe most of what they have to say but I'm not going to do all of this. It's, it's like Jesus is saying to you through this parable, okay, then I'm warning you. I'm just warning you. You are currently laying a foundation for your whole life. And it's, it's, you're never really kind of done with that, by the way. And if you're a single person, you're laying a foundation for your life with a future spouse, maybe. If you're a newly married couple, you've got young kids at home, you're laying a foundation for years to come. Financially and relationally and morally, you're laying a foundation. And Jesus says, if you'll lay a foundation based on what I've taught you, yeah, you're going to pay a price. And this isn't a warning like, I'm going to get you. No, it's not that. It's more like, I love you, and I love you so much, and I want what's best for you, so I want you to obey. So there's a warning, and it's like, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm 35 years old, or I'm 45, or whatever, maybe older, and whatever, you know, there, there may come some, there's some storm clouds gathering, I can just kind of sense it, you know, I can feel it in my joints, and I can kind of still see some blue sky, you know, but everything's fine for now, when I get a little bit older, I'll deal with the coming storm, and someday, we've got to understand that this isn't about, I made a decision on Sunday, because like, during that message, I kind of tuned out, but during that song, that God really spoke to me, and uh, so I made a decision on, on Sunday, man, I got results on Tuesday, I love how God works, God is good. Our time frames are always too short. Yeah, I've lived the last five years of my life the way I want to, you know, just totally abandoned Jesus, abandoned his teaching. Now I'm kind of back, you know. Now I'm at a place in my life, I've got more money than I ever had, you know. Nobody in my life has a terminal illness. It's all good. It's good. And, uh, man, our time frames are too short because we're talking about the foundation of our entire life. Not like, well, I made this decision on Monday, and so by Friday it should be good to go. So this is a warning. Now's the time when you still have time. So if you're, still, if you're sitting here and listening to this, you still have time. That's God's grace because the storms are coming. And whether you've ever built a house or not, uh, you, you don't rethink your foundation in the middle of the storm. You don't rethink your location in the middle of the storm. Uh, regret, have you ever experienced that? Doesn't result in any practical uh, difference. Regret's just a liar that'll beat you up. It doesn't result in any practical difference. Once you begin to realize, oh man, I probably made the wrong decision on this one. Probably shouldn't have gone in that direction. Probably shouldn't have ignored what I knew to be true. Probably shouldn't have moved in with her or him. I probably shouldn't have had them over. I probably shouldn't have financed that. I probably shouldn't have gone to work there. I probably shouldn't have agreed to work that schedule. Oops. Because um, maybe uh, you don't have as much time as you think you have to get ready. So your Savior is on his knees next to you. And it's like, would you just trust me on this? And I know your friends are going to think you're crazy. And I know, you know, what you see in culture isn't going to support your decisions here, but I'm just trying to help you lay a foundation that you're going to live with for the rest of your life because all of us face storms 
And, and that's when you're going to look back, either with regret or you're going to look back with a sense of relief. Because at some point in your life, you said as complicated as, as this is and as difficult as this is and as out of touch as it seems sometimes, I am going to reorder my life around the teachings of Jesus. And I understand why we push back. Because you're like, all right, if I go to work tomorrow and I do X because Jesus said so, by 5 o'clock on Friday, I can tell you it's not going to be good. If I go home this afternoon and I call him and I'm like, don't call me anymore, it's over. Pastor Todd said that that's probably what Jesus would want. You know, if I go home and say, you know what, we've got to end this. If I start doing this stuff and there are going to be some negative repercussions. And I think Jesus would say, wait, you ready for this? Of course there will be. But I'm not talking about tomorrow, and I'm not even talking about next week. I'm not even talking about next month or next year. I'm talking about your life as a package. So would you go beyond following and believing, and are you willing to go so far as to obey? And then for some of you, this comes as an explanation. Because maybe right now you're in the middle of a major life storm. And you're like, man, this one will not give up either. It's just howling. And you've had thoughts like, you ready? Because I've been reading your mail. <laughs> How could God let this happen? Nobody in this room's ever asked that question, I know, but you know people who have. How could God do this to me? I've prayed and prayed, and doesn't God love, where is God on this anyway? And why would God, you know, you know the questions I'm talking about. And you're in the storm that isn't that, it isn't unlike storms that other people have faced and maybe other people in this room have faced. You've seen this in lots of people's lives, but suddenly it's you. <laughs> and you're not doing so well. And you've even thought, but, but I'm, I'm going to church. Like, I'm at church like a lot. And I pray and I believe. Like, Sundays are awesome and I really believe on Sundays. And it's great. <laughs> But listen, it is obedience that makes a difference. It's practical obedience that makes the practical difference. And the explanation maybe to why you're not doing so well because suddenly you're facing the consequences of a poorly laid foundation. You might, this is a tough one, but you might even be in a situation where you're experiencing the consequences of someone else's poorly laid foundation. And this isn't meant to condemn you because this isn't about condemning anybody, but it's an explanation. It's why so many people come back to Jesus So why so many, so many people come back to Jesus and begin their, to live their lives um, differently after a storm? Everything was great, but then suddenly a storm came that took out my foundation. It revealed my, where I skimped on the foundation. Suddenly a storm came and my marriage couldn't handle it. Suddenly a storm came and financially or morally or relationally, it was a huge setback because you didn't have there what was required to endure it. And people come back to church and they come running back to Jesus, not just to believe, but to say, I'm going to live my life differently. I, I wasn't so sure you were right about this, and I've heard the story, and I knew the song, and I, met, I had the flannel graph in Sunday school and all that. I knew the deal, Jesus, and I wasn't sure that it really applied to me. I, I wasn't so sure you had my best interest in mind. It wasn't until I actually experienced the storm and the weakness of my foundation was exposed. Now I know. <laughs> And I'm going to live, I got a lot of stuff to clean up. And I'm going to live my life differently because the next time I face a storm, I want to be ready. Now I realize that showing up at church and listening and taking notes and reading my Bible, that's like, 
It's like first steps. But I didn't obey, and I didn't let it impact my lifestyle, and I didn't embrace the teachings of Jesus in any kind of practical way, because that's like really inconvenient, and it's hard, and you've got to explain yourself sometimes because it's so countercultural. But man, I sure wish I had. My life would be a whole lot different if I had a different foundation. So what it really comes down to is, who are you going to trust? Am I going to trust me? Because, you know, I'll figure it out. I'm pretty smart. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm in church, so I'm a pretty good person, you know. I called mom, let her know I'm at church today. Yay, I'm really on track now. I'm in the building, extra points for me. Oh, listen, I'm glad you're here. Because I don't like to talk to empty seats mostly, but I like you too. But here's what I know. It's obedience that makes the practical difference. So many times we think there's something wrong with Jesus. There's something wrong with our Heavenly Father because uh, didn't he promise this and that and something else? And what you're looking for are actually the results of practical obedience. So as you follow and you believe, you've got to decide in the Monday through Saturday part of your life, in the relationship part, in the marriage part, in the money part, in the work part, in the morals, entertainment part, in the priorities, the way you spend your time. Who are you going to trust? You're going to trust your ability to sort it out? Because I know you're, I mean, intellectually capable. You can figure it out. You're going to trust the, the map that culture has handed to you? Like, come on, Todd, the rules change with time. Come on. You're going to trust the path that your family handed down to you? Think about that. Or are you willing to say, this is going to be different? This is radical, but you know what? I'm going to obey. I want to be obedient. God, God my Heavenly Father, sent His Son to die for me. I can trust Him. So the best of my ability, I'm going to obey Him. Practical obedience is what makes a practical difference. It, oh, Wait. If you make a decision now, in this moment in time, to obey practically, it doesn't mean by Tuesday it's all better. Got my foundation in. You know, it only took me two days. Man, bring it on Wednesday, you know. This is a life. This is your life. <laughs> so you, your Savior invites you to follow until you believe and believe until you're willing to obey. If you do, it's promised to all of us, those who have been doing this consistently, those to whom this is a warning, it's like a redo for you today. For those of you for whom this is an explanation as to why you're facing what you're facing and why it looks the way it looks, to all of us there's a promise. He said, if you'll put into practice what I teach, when the storms of life come, you will be standing. Because I'm the author of life, I know best how life works. That's why I've come, to explain the Father and from the Father to show you how to live life. So if you're here today and you're thinking, wow, I... I needed to hear that because I'm on the verge of giving up. Don't give up. If you're here today and this is a warning because you're just kind of playing the game, and you're playing it well because nobody knows, but you're just playing the game, now you've heard it and now you've got a decision to make. You've got to do something with it. If you're here and this is an explanation, the good news is, listen, listen, listen. God's not mad at you. He's not punishing you. Jesus took our punishment. You know, life just took the legs out from under you. It's a result of living in a fallen world. The good news is you can rebuild. You can 
repair the foundation, you can begin again no matter how old you are, no matter what your story is. This could be the first day where you say from this point forward, I'm going to obey. I'm going to make the sacrifices. I'm going to make the changes I need to make in order to order my life around the teachings of Jesus, who is my Savior and my Lord and who I can trust because he has my best interests in mind. Take some time the next few days to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Get the whole context of this story and uh, read it until it starts to sink in. And let's obey. Listen to this. Surrender.